Every person in the world wants two things out of their relationships. Two basic, simple things. One is that they want to feel like they belong. Uh, Everyone desires to be part of a community, to be part of a family, to, to have a place in the world, to fit into some kind of community of people that is larger than ourselves, which we belong to. Um, that's why we walk around with names belonging to our fathers and mothers. That's why we um, consider ourselves citizens of a nation. That's why we tell people when they ask where we're from, we say Moultrie or wherever else it is that you're from. That's, that we, we all of us have this need, this desire to belong to a community that's larger than ourselves. The second thing that every person wants is to be unique, to be special. The fact is, it's not enough to be part of a community that's just like us, where each person is like the other, because that means that we're expendable. That means that we can come and go as we please without anyone noticing. That's, that's not what we, in our heart of hearts, really want. We want to be integral to a community. We want to be part of that community, an important part of that community, um, some, to, to have a place in that community, to matter to that community. And in order to do that, we have to be unique. We have to have something special to bring to the table. We want to be able to bring something to the table that no one else can. So these two things, I think, are are what define our relationships with people. The the desire for belonging and the desire to be unique, to be special to someone. And the fact is, those two things can be at odds sometimes. Sometimes we'll sacrifice our uniqueness in order to fit in to a community. Sometimes we'll give up on belonging to a community in order to feel unique. And each one of us knows people who have made these decisions. I don't have to to, uh, tell you about crazy Aunt Susie or Uncle Joe who um, sacrificed their uh, uh, belonging to the community in order to be unique, the black sheep of the family. And I don't have to tell you about people who sacrifice their uniqueness in order to belong to a community. When we're adolescent, we call that peer pressure. When we grow up, we stop calling it anything because all of us do it a little bit. And the fact is, if we're being honest, I think all of us feels more attracted to one or another of these two qualities, belonging or uniqueness. When I describe being part of a community, some of us feel like I'm describing a a deep, deep, lifelong uh, desire of theirs. Others will feel that way when I'm talking about being special, about being known, about having unique gifts. Whichever resonates more with you, it's important to know that this is, this is simply the way God has made us. To belong and to be unique. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And we see that in the very beginning. God creates humanity in Adam. He says, on the one hand, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. I'll, I'll repeat that. Some of us need to hear that. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for any of us to be alone. We're not built for that. We're not meant for that. And on the other hand, when God creates Adam and then creates Eve, he creates two very different sorts of creatures. Two different ways of being human. And that diversity doesn't end with Adam and Eve. It goes on throughout history as nations and various tribes and various tongues and various cultures develop. (laughs) Uniqueness is important too. Both of these are aspects of the way God has designed us. Our psalm this morning speaks powerfully to these desires. And and particularly to that desire to be special or unique to someone, although as we'll see at the end, um, it also speaks to that desire for community, that desire for belonging. 
course, for the psalmist, this awareness of our own uniqueness and value doesn't ultimately come from human relationships. It comes from somewhere else. So let's look at the psalm, beginning at verse 1. He says, O Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You examine my path and my places of rest and are acquainted with all my ways. Indeed, there is not a word on my tongue, but you, O Lord, know it altogether. You have enclosed me behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Translation. The psalmist is saying God knows every single thing about me. Everything. Past, present, future, inner, outer, everything. God knows his habits. God knows his thoughts. God knows his mannerisms. Before he even speaks, before he even utters a word, God knows everything he'll say as well as everything he won't say. And the psalmist goes on. Where shall I then go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, then shall my night be turned to day. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as clear as the day. The darkness and light to you are both alike. The psalmist says there's no place on earth he can go where God won't see him. And in fact, no place he can go where God will not be with him. Wherever he goes, he finds that God is right there with him. No matter how dark the place, no matter how dangerous the path, no matter how frightening the surroundings, God is right there with him every single step of the way. You almost get the sense of a little bit of frustration in the psalmist, as if you know, maybe, maybe he'd like sometimes to be able to go somewhere alone. God is, is so hounding him, so present with him, that he can't get away from him, can't, can't escape him. Where can I go from your presence, he says. Where can I flee from your spirit? He can't. God is right there with him. Why? He goes on in verse 12. Because you yourself made my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows it very well. If we had the rest of the psalm printed in our bulletin, we would go on to read this. My bones were not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and fashioned in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my substance while I was yet unformed. And in your book were all my members written, which day by day were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. The psalmist can't escape God. Why? Because God is the one who created him. Because God made him. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's very vivid language, isn't it? You knit me together in my mother's womb. That doesn't imply that God sort of, you know, got, got the ball spinning and let natural uh, uh, things take their course. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Knitting implies that God took his fingers and literally stitched together every little detail. 
Every double helix of DNA, DNA, every gene, every protein, every cell. God didn't just get the ball rolling and let nature take over. He fashioned us. Every detail of our lives. Like an artist attending to each. Have you ever seen an artist work? Especially one of those really compulsive artists that's just never satisfied, always tweaking, working on every little brushstroke, every detail, every color, every shade. That is God's attentiveness towards us. The psalmist goes on. He confesses that these thoughts of God, so attentive to each little detail of his creatures, are precious to him. They encourage the psalmist, even as they astound and humble him. And then the psalmist confesses his insecurity to God. If we were to go on reading, we would find a a verse that kind of took us by surprise. The psalmist is all all of a sudden talking about enemies. About people who hate God and about how he hates people who hate God and and all of this stuff. It's very kind of surprising in the midst of this beautiful uh, poem about God's uh, creative attentiveness towards us. But the psalmist is essentially confessing his insecurity, his fear. He's he's attached. He's attacked by unrighteous people, by bloodthirsty men, he says, who hate God and his enemies want to blot him out from the face of the earth. But instead of the psalmist feeling a need to defend himself before these bloodthirsty people. He turns to God and says this. And this is the the last verse of that psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and examine my thoughts. Look well if there be any way of wickedness in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, the psalmist has already admitted that God knows every little thing about him. Every little thing about his past. Every little thing about his present. Every little thing about his future. God knows everything about him, and yet now he is inviting God to search him, to examine him, to test him, to lead him. Instead of hiding his sinfulness, his imperfection from God's knowing gaze as Adam hid from God in the garden, instead of hiding, he welcomes the examination. He knows that he's not exactly what God intended for him to be. There are still parts of his life that are yet to be brought into alignment with God's intent and God's purpose. He he brings that sin before God. He says, examine me. I'm open. He welcomes that examination because he desires to be pleasing to the God who made him and loves him and preserves him. So here's what our psalm brings to us this morning. It's a simple truth, and because of that simplicity, I'm afraid it's a truth that we often overlook. So I'm going to say it, and I'm going to say it slowly, and I'm going to say it clearly. God loves you. God made you. God knows every little thing about you. Everything. There is nothing you can hide from God. We confess it every Sunday. Almighty God, from you to to you, all hearts are open. All desires known from you. No secrets are hid. God knows you. God knows you better than you know yourself. At times far better than you know yourself. There is nothing that can be hidden from God. No sin, no flaw, no temptation that he does not already know you face. And did not already know you would face long before you faced it. 
When we confess our sin, as we're about to do here in just a few minutes, we're we're not telling God something he doesn't already know. We're not informing him. We're inviting him into those flaws. Inviting him to examine us, to correct us, to lead us. We're simply admitting that we're his creation. His creation to correct, his creation to perfect, and not our own. And it's not only that God has made you special, and this brings us back to our our point at the beginning. It's not just that he's made you unique, he's also made you to be a part of this family. When the psalmist says, your eyes beheld my substance while I was yet unformed, and in your book were all of my members written, which day by day were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. When he says, your eyes beheld my substance when I was yet unformed, he's not just speaking of our individual bodies. We can't help but think of Ephesians 1. When we're told that the church was chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world, predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. We read in 1 Corinthians 12, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are but one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Do you hear that members language? That we heard in the psalm. In your book were all my members written when day by day were uh, which day by day were fashioned when as yet there were none of them. He says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you or the hand to the feet. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, Paul says, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are unique and you belong here. You are special to God and you belong here in his church. Each of us has a special place. In the body of Christ, a special God-given gift to contribute. Just as our sins are forgiven in Christ, we also find that in Christ we have a unique place in God's household as members of the body of Christ. God knows you. God loves you. And you belong here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.